folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, Matthew Collar here. We'll get into the show in just a second, but first got to tell you about Abner Maris, a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer he is today. He will discuss the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and his American dream. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. All right, let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings had an unbelievably Minnesota Vikings-style loss to the Seattle Seahawks podcast. Matthew Collar, along with intern Paul, who has five very important questions, which I'm sure will not question any fourth down decisions or anything else like that. What is up, Paul? That was exciting. I told people on, what was it, against the Titans, I said, buckle yourself in. There's going to be a lot of crazy games, and it can actually be fun if you don't allow yourself to be punched super hard in the gut. But I actually think this one, this actually was a super hard punch in the gut because of how much it meant to the potential rest of the season. If you go to two and three, and then you're facing the Atlanta Falcons, you feel like you're back, you got the bye week, you come out of that and play the Packers. And so I I understand everyone for allowing themselves to get hurt again, but at very least there's a lot to talk about here, Paul. Yeah. I prepping for this, for the podcast with five questions after the first half, I had all my questions pretty much uh, written down. And then after the Seahawks score 21 points in a minute 52, I rewrote all my questions and then (laughs) I rewrote them again and then back and forth we go. So I, I was stressing about the game. It, it, it's been a long day of football. Usually we don't have to wait this long for a Vikings game. I was watching tennis at 8 a.m. 8 and then realized that was a mistake right when the 3 o'clock game started because I needed a break. I needed to go walk around. It was just too much football. I'm 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 tired, but my mind is racing with everything <laughs> that happened in this game. So I, I'm excited to talk about it. And, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely not going to ask you first about the, the fourth down call. That That was not my plan at all but if it was going to be my plan if that (laughs) hypothetically if we were going to talk about it I already saw you answering some people on Twitter I'm pretty sure I know where your stance is and I think I agree with you but run through how you feel about what they did on that fourth and one if they should have kicked the field goal to go up eight and then give the uh, ball back to Russell Wilson or try to win it there fourth and inches and then potentially give the ball back like they did only up five Here's the very important place to start with this decision that Mike Zimmer made. You are one in three. They are four and oh. You are on the road and your season is on the line. And you have six to seven inches to gain in order to not allow Russell Wilson to step on that field again, to just finish it off, get a huge win. In fact, maybe one of the bigger wins of Kirk Cousins' entire time as a Minnesota Viking. It would be what, you know, New Orleans is going to be the most impressive probably for a while, but it would be the 
I think second most impressive win by Kirk Cousins as a Minnesota Viking if they were able to pull it off, especially the way that Kirk led them on two touchdown drives after they got down in the game, after making a bunch of mistakes. And usually that's not a thing that he does, but it matters that you are one and three and they are four and oh, and that everything is on the line here with your season. If you get this win, you feel great. If you do not get this win, you have a very long uphill climb to getting to be relevant in the NFC to getting back in the race and then NFC North where you already have the Packers and the Bears are in great shape. You've got a long way to go if you lose and you have a choice on your hands. We can run the ball, which we have been just dominating the Seattle Seahawks defensive line for the entire drive. Alexander Madison was plowing through them. Do you give it to him once more for six inches Or do you give Russell Wilson a shot to go down the field, tie the game, and potentially win it in overtime and so forth? And Mike Zimmer decided it's time to try to win the game. But these things matter. You are not the 4-0 team that can try to play it safe. You're not a great defense. And Wilson in the second half has been playing really good at football against you. So I look at this as... People are saying, oh, why would you give it back to Wilson? But you're only considering the thing that went wrong and not the upside of it, which is you never give it back to Wilson. So I lean much heavier toward you made the right decision to try to not give it back to him, to end the game right there. And my game management theory, just in general, is anytime you have a chance to end the game on one play, you know, fourth down and short, you do it. You go for it. If it's fourth and four and you're at the 40-yard line or something and you've got a chance to get a first down and the game's over, you should do it. Remember we talked about this with the Los Angeles Chargers where they punted it away to Patrick Mahomes in overtime as opposed to just, you know, trying to get like three yards and, and, and then go score and beat Patrick Mahomes? Well, the Vikings made that very decision the right way, in my opinion, and it did not work out. And this is a classic football thing. It's what makes football so wonderful as a sport. It's why it will be debated for a week and a really long time is that you can always second guess. You can always go back and say, well, you should have done something else. And we did the same thing with the safety in the first game of the year. It was, well, you shouldn't have run a play action in the end zone, even though Cousins never gets sacked on play actions, and yet that time he did. So when it doesn't go right, the process will always be questioned. But I think that Zimmer did the right thing to try to win the game right there as opposed to putting it on his defense to hold Wilson from driving to score eight. Now, if you look at the numbers, and NBC did a good job of throwing up the numbers on the broadcast, either decision is actually fine. I mean, either decision, you should win that football game. So a lot of the discussion should really kind of circle back to this is a Vikings team that has now lost two games by one point that they should have won. And so should we be saying, are they actually kind of good and have lost two one-point games to two good teams? Or are they actually just like not good because they've had chances and double-digit leads to two of these teams and blown them? So... There's the whole thing for you, Paul. You can tell me, you can give me your opinion. Do you agree that, hey, you're, you're one in three seasons on the line, get a half a yard? Or do you say, hey, if you kick the field goal, then Wilson has to score eight points against you? I mean, gut reaction. I was watching with my brother, and he, he said go for it. And I was like, I don't know. I think maybe we should kick it. And then I thought more about it, and I thought more about the implication. And I, and I was on that side. But immediately my gut reaction was, oh, maybe we kick it. Maybe we get the eight points. But I – I just when you when it's that short of a distance that you need to make Madison's getting yards after yards Boone's getting like like positive rush yeah, yards yep. it's it's half an inch there's a like a screenshot going around on Twitter about Madison and how he should have kicked it to the outside I don't even think we should be second guessing him there like are we really trying to go too far east west when you need inches and you can just like yep. plow your way forward so I don't want to like come at Madison either for the way he ran that I think it was the right call Mike Zimmer said after the game we came here to win if they if they don't do that they're kind of playing scared they're going back they're giving it to Russell Wilson down down eight and they're just like hoping that he doesn't beat them and in all likelihood we just saw what happened I I think they 
score the touchdown, and then they care more about that two-point conversion. People are saying, well, they didn't get the two-point conversion, so now that your point is, like, bunk. Like, we, like we, we, they didn't get it, so it wouldn't have mattered. Like, no, they would have paid more attention to it. They would have had a better scheme, like, drawn up for any sort of two-point conversion that comes after it. So I think it's the right call. Uh, you're always going to get second-guessed after it, after the fact. But all game long, I was impressed with Zimmer's, um, like, willingness to go for it on fourth yeah, down. Yep, they went point. for it on fourth down several times and it looked like it was going to be the other way i mean i mean like seattle was they punted on fourth and four at their own 42 they punted at fourth and one at their own 34 they yep. punted in minnesota territory on fourth and seven mm-hmm. they like ran it on third and 22 so in most scenarios it goes the vikings way like this was one of the scenarios where it didn't but i think this is an outlier in terms of how this game was going to go he called like he made the right decisions in most of those questions of whether we go for it or not. And I didn't see too many people questioning it when we're going for it. And people like them being aggressive because they see that we got it. And then they didn't get it on that final one. And now, Oh, you shouldn't go for it. You should give it to your defense. Like you can't have it both ways. So they made the right choice. I think it didn't work out. It's the process over the results. I think more, more times than not, you, you win that. And, when you go for it, you, you have the inherent like thing, like we could not, we might not get this, but then you're giving some confidence in your defense. You're saying, we still kind of believe in you. We think you can do this. And it took a fourth and 10, like hail Mary pass to DK Metcalf where Cameron dancer got turned around for them to get it. And then they needed to keep going. And he had to fit that into DK Metcalf right at the end for them to win. Like it's at that point, I don't even know if you can blame anyone for this loss. We might, I kind of want to blame it on Drew Samia. Maybe we'll get to that later. But we'll, oh, um, we'll find people to blame it on for sure. Um, um, let me just follow. But I, I, you just, I just don't think you should blame anyone because it's Russell Wilson. He just went out and won that at the end. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, what to say more. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. We'll get into who exactly to blame. Maybe even uh, usually we save it for Courtney. But the do 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 do. Who do you blame? I'm sure we'll play that. Uh, I'm going to do another episode with Courtney soon, and uh, we'll play that probably for this game. Um, so we can we can play a little blame game if we want. But just to follow up on that, you make a great point about the other fourth downs. Zimmer nailed the other fourth downs. They converted them. It played a big role in them being up in the game and scoring on the very first drive they've got a fourth and two and throw it short to Justin Jefferson. Now let's get into where you can question the end of the game, though. I think that the big area you could question it is running a reverse to Adam Thielen. I, in my lifetime, covering the Minnesota Vikings here, so I moved here in 2016. It is currently 2020. That's how long I've been covering this particular team. I have never seen Adam Thielen have a good run on a reverse. I don't remember. Someone can maybe dig one up for me. Just off the top of my head, I do not remember a good reverse being run by Adam Thielen. And that was the situation to run Alexander Madison again. Or, or as you said, Mike Boone. They're just plowing them on that drive. They looked like they were gassed. It had been 80 plays for the Vikings at that point. And you run your wide receiver, but not just the wide receiver. The one who's not as fast as the other wide receiver that you have, Justin Jefferson. And that's where I would say, look, Look, if you were going to do some trickeration, do it to the guy who is a freak show with the football in his hand, not the other guy. And also, why? Why the trickeration at that point? Why run a play that has consistently failed for you over the last couple of years with Adam Thielen when you're just running it down their throats? Or a quick pass. Irv Smith was very good in this game. Get the ball to Irv Smith. I mean, the route that Justin Jefferson ran on the first drive where he did a little in and out, I think it's called a whip route maybe. I'd have to go back and look at it. He's wide open on fourth and short. Well, they were, what, third and four? Do the same thing. I mean, that's where I think you could very much question that. And on the fourth down, the QB sneak worked earlier in the game. It is a 90% successful play in the National Football League. This is a thing that the Patriots did for 15 years or more with Tom Brady, where if they got to fourth and inches, they would QB sneak it and he'd get it every darn time. And I don't understand in that one why you're not doing the same thing. And then there's the point of you ran to the right side. Now, it did not look like Drew Samia made a mistake on that play. 
But uh, Brian O'Neill got pushed back a little bit into Alexander Madison. Maybe Madison can cut, but I don't think that's his job on that play. Uh, I do think that Delvin Cook probably finds a way to get there with a first down, but I think Madison's job is to just plow up the middle and get that short yardage. So you can always stop. It's like with wide receivers being open. You can freeze frame, be like, well, what in the quarterback? Throw it over there. I mean, I, I think it comes down to more of when you run that play, a handoff right up the middle, in the most obvious handoff right up the middle situation, you give the other team a chance to push you back. You give them a second to push you back when you're handing the ball off as opposed to a QB sneak where you just reach it over. So can they be questioned? Of course they can. Would I still say that they made the right decision? Yes, I would. However, that the, one of the great things about this is that if you're saying, hey, well, they would have had to go score eight points against you, I, I get I get what you're what you're saying. It's it's a situation where you shouldn't lose that game. I mean, you probably on on that fourth and one situation have a ninety something percent chance to win it, and to not win it, to let him drive the entire distance of the field in what like a minute, two minutes. I, I mean, that is where they came up really short, and where the game is lost is two fourth downs allowing Russell Wilson to convert after for a large portion of the game, Zimmer's defense did a terrific job and you know, they're going deep down the field on fourth and 10 because they have no other choice there. And yet he still finds their best and most dangerous downfield wide receiver one-on-one with Cameron Dantzler. These are all things that you can point to and say, okay, those are mistakes and that's why you lost. And maybe this is why they're losing close games because of mistakes like that. So there's the entire spectrum of the fourth down thing. What else do you have on your list, Paul? Yeah, uh, I want to I wanna talk about Kirk Cousins, because I think we talk about him. He's the first thing we talk about if they lose, and he's the reason that they lose. If they had won tonight, a big part of it would have been Kirk Cousins. I know he had the strip sack that went for a fumble and then the, another one at the end in the pick, but after that, he led two really, really nice drives when it kind of seemed like the Vikings were just ready to roll over at 21 to 13. They, they orchestrated long drives throughout the game. They utilized the run really well. He managed the game really well. And he kind of stabilized that team when Drew Samia was just getting pushed back. He had penalties all over the place. Like things were just not going well for them in that third quarter. And he got it back to 21 or 21, 19. They missed the two point conversion, which again, if you want to, question a play call maybe question the the two-point conversion yes, yes that yes. the qb sneak yes if you I want to do. question you, you can question that one it's the texans but to do it again to go back to that well you have you have justin jefferson and adam Thielen on your football team you have to give them the ball there okay yeah that's fine that's, yeah that so, is a hundred percent like kirk cousins running is 98 percent of the time a bad idea if it's not a qb sneak so don't yeah do that. you can question that or you can question later when they kicked the field goal or the extra point to get it to five or whatever, I think I saw Eric Eager tweet tweeted he wanted them to go for two there too. So maybe there's there's some second or there's some two point conversions that you can question play calling. But Kirk Cousins, I just where do we assess how how he played? Because I thought he played pretty well. He would have been a big reason why they won this game. It wasn't the like besides that little point in the third quarter. It wasn't the typical prime time Kirk that people want to think about or the. Kirk that can't win against good teams. He was playing really well, albeit against a bad um, pass rush, but he he still was playing well. So where do you assess Kirk Cousins in this game and just how we view him going forward? Because I thought this was a really, really nice game for him. Uh, okay, let me just real quick on the point about the other two-point conversion, and the answer is, of course, they should have because – the, the uh, extra points are no longer automatic. So when you have a chance to go up six instead of five, that could matter for you. If the other team scores and their kicker shanks one, and then all of a sudden it's a tie game, and they shank them about you know one out of every 10 times, so you should do that. And the other point about that is, and here's where we could all be in agreement with a, a victory, would be if you get a two-point conversion there, then all you need is a field goal to make it nine points and not a one-score game for the other team. So should they have attempted to go for two, to go up six instead of five? The answer is 100% yes. And I'm just going to quickly apologize because there's a storm outside. And so if there's thunder and lightning, um, that's actually a great football sound effect. So I take it back. I'm not apologizing. 
Um, and I thank the weather, just like Prince at the Super Bowl. That's me doing this podcast here. Uh, on the matter of Kirk Cousins, it is so extremely classic Kirk Cousins to have a fumble and an interception that helps you wash away a 13-point lead. And when we assess how he played in this game, yes, he did a terrific job to bring them back and score those two touchdowns. I mean, just fantastic. He was standing in there. He was firing the ball to open receivers. He's finding Thielen for touchdowns. Uh, Thielen had a tremendous game, two touchdowns, nine catches. Uh, I, I think I would have preferred more Justin Jefferson, but Irv Smith gets involved, so he steps up. The screen game is working. He's spreading the ball around, but you can't, just overlook because he was able to bounce back from them that he let Seattle back in the game single-handedly. The interception is just unacceptable. You threw it to the linebacker who's right there. He makes a good catch, but you I mean, standing right in the spot where you're trying to throw the football. It's an unacceptable interception. Now the fumble, I got some questions on this, so I'll just quickly explain it. Uh, even though the whistle was blown, they changed this rule a couple of years ago that if the other team clearly recovered it, even though the whistle was blown, they could still give them the ball, which sounds super wonky and maybe made up by me, but it's actually true. And so, you know, I think it was a bad call to begin with. It was clearly a fumble, so they should not have ruled it to be an incompletion. But just to make that clear, they had a few of those go the other way a couple of years ago, so they turned that rule on its head. And this is NFL rules for you. But Kirk Cousins, big games against good teams, those mistakes are, are always there. You're just waiting for them to happen. And, you know, you can't overlook those. And at the end of the night, he ends up with 39 passes for 249 yards, six and a half yards per attempt. They relied a lot on the run game, as they so often do. And things changed when Delvin Cook went out. Now, Madison picked it up and was terrific. But when you have those mistakes and you need to rely so much on the running game as you do, that's where the other guy, Russell Wilson, who was shut down for an entire half, is still able to beat you in the game because you can't put him away. You make a mistake to open the door to leave it open. Wilson takes advantage of it. So, yeah, I mean, we can always play the game of how much blame Kirk Cousins deserves, but the fact that you're always having to play that game kind of tells you more of the story than even having to play it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I get where you're coming from. and The, the two turnovers were, were unacceptable. I guess it's three with the one at the very end, but that one was... That was I, also I weird. That I thought was yeah. a clear incompletion. I don't think it would have mattered, but it, that was like the referees, I just, you know... Just, Let, let's go home. Let's go home, <laughs> yeah. It's raining out. Yeah. Yeah, the... the I guess the I would have to go back and look at how much time he had on the the first fumble, but uh, I thought with the way the offensive line played at the beginning, they played really well. It got a little weird in the in the middle part of the game. Samia was was really bad, um, but I, I don't know if I put the the strip sack totally on him. But yeah, he does need to cut those down. But overall, they had five offensive drives of ten plays or more. I saw that on the broadcast. It's the most since 2004. They got out of the like. In inside their own five-yard line. They had really long drives. It was everything Mike Zimmer would have wanted going into halftime. They were pretty much doubling them in time of possession or, like, tripling them. I don't I don't remember the exact number it was, but it, it was kind of crazy how, how efficient they were playing in that first half. And then Dalvin Cook goes out, and just the mojo kind of – you could just kind of feel it from the team. Everything kind of tensed up. So it was Kirk Cousins. It was offensive line. I think it was all of it. Kirk's going to get the blame because his – the turnovers are coming from his hand, but I, I kind of want to transition this to our next point, which is do it, how surprised would you be? I don't think this is going to happen at all, but like we just saw the Atlanta Falcons, they just got rid of Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. They just released like day of the game. Like, can the Vikings do that with Drew Samia? Just like tomorrow, just like slip in <laughs> a little like press release. That's like, we've released Drew Samia. Like, cause at, like, I don't, I don't know how to like, I don't really know how to analyze this because do we take it more as everyone behind him is just worse or is it just Zimmer being stubborn that they just want to like believe in him. They saw something they they've invested too much in him. Like where do we put this? Because we, they have at least a couple guys you feel like we could go to and you might as well try it. Like, I don't really know what, what we're doing. If we're not trying it, we're go They're going against one of the worst pass rushes in the NFL. And Samia is still getting pushed back, still getting, 
penalized mm -hmm. after yep. like penalty after penalty after penalty. He had five penalty or four penalties. Three were accepted. So he was not good in this game when he should have been. And it everyone else like wasn't that ba bad. Ba Bradbury had a nice game. Like Drew Samia just seems to be the weakest point in this offense. And they were going at him and at him and at him. So where do we go from here? Because he really shouldn't be playing anymore. It was like angering me as I'm watching it. <laughs> How many times yeah. do you need to watch this before you just decide it's it's enough? I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen it yet, you've got to check it out. A couple of my favorite designs are the Duck Duck Gray Duck and the Randy Moss Goat, which you've got to see. Uh, all their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. We're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. By the way, use promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Yeah, let me circle back just on one cousin's point, is with the way that he played as a whole and the way they controlled the ball on offense – that's what makes the turnovers so frustrating is that despite one of the worst right guard performances since, well, like the last two weeks, uh, but uh, really of the entire Mike Zimmer era, one of the worst single offensive lineman performances by Drew Samia, who entered the game dead last, not just in guards, in all players by pro football focus, all players of every position, all 786 players, he had the lowest grade of anyone. Anyone who is collecting a check from an NFL team has had a better start to their season than Drew Samia. So that's kind of mind-blowing to think about there. And if he grades higher than like a five, I'd be surprised getting penalized four times uh, usually is a huge deal to your grade. But with Cousins, that's the frustrating part about the turnovers and the fact that they just seem to always happen. There's always something in one of these games that they lose to a good team. Uh, at the end of the game against Tennessee, where, yeah, I know, again, the offensive line fell apart and you know, Garrett Bradbury snapped it the wrong way. But there were times where they could have ended the day for Tennessee and the door is left open by Kirk Cousins and then Tennessee ends up winning the game. And this felt the same way, where – yeah, when you play the blame game on Cousins, okay, he doesn't have a, a very good uh, performance by his right guard, and he's spreading the ball around, and he's standing in there, and he brings it back in the game, and you can be happy with that. But if every game they go up against a good team, and you lose, and you can circle a couple of points where this is kind of why you lost in part with these turnovers, and then you have to pick apart every other part. It's like, wow, this is kind of who Kirk Cousins is, and it's who he has been. And it's like clockwork. I've never seen someone so predictable that the big mistake is coming. It was almost like, tell me, even Collinsworth could feel it coming. He said, oh, you know, there's just a different vibe out there with Dalvin Cook. And boop, there goes the interception and the fumble. So, all right, on to Drew Samia. I'm at a loss. I am at a loss. I... I think, like, for his own personal mental state and safety, he should be taken out. He should have been taken out in the second quarter. This is the single worst. And I watched TJ Clemmings, and I watched Tom Compton. And last year, Pat Elfline got demolished. And Garrett Bradbury is a rookie, and he is playing a lot better. Garrett Bradbury, as a rookie, got crushed I don't think I've ever seen anyone over three or four games play worse than Drew Samia, and I don't get it. I, I don't understand why Brett Jones isn't in there. Aviant Collins is still on the practice squad. Uh, you could move Dakota Dozier to right guard. He's played all the positions before and have Ezra Cleveland play left guard. There has to be a change. There has to. And to have gone this far in allowing it and to really just as a miserable failure of the offensive line year in and year out, it's just been malpractice by this team. To, and especially when your quarterback is susceptible to interior pressure and you run out somebody who has no shot, no shot. Okay, he got killed by DeForest Buckner. You could go, all right, well, that's fine. That guy's a beast. But 
I mean, Duran Reed is like a good player, but he shouldn't be looking like an all pro and you should never have four penalties in a league that's kind of cooled off on the offensive penalties to try and help facilitate more offense. I mean, I don't, I, we've done so much ranting covering the Minnesota Vikings about their offensive line decisions over the years, but this one might be the worst. Tom Compton wasn't, I mean, he wasn't that bad. He was just like a regular backup guy. Josh Klein wasn't that bad. Pat Elfline has has been rough, but nowhere near like this. So, yeah, I mean, if you're deciding to spread out the blame to who deserves it for the loss, I mean, he's got to be named in this. And it's just amazing to me. Like the right guard, you know, I feel like Allen Iverson. Like practice, we're talking about the right guard. We're talking about the right guard endlessly. Is this really happening to me? The thing is, like, if, if they win this game, if they go to two and three, I was I had the playoff thing pulled up. When they were up, I was ready to go through it, and I was ready to say, they've got Carolina, who's a playoff team right now. They have the Cardinals, who are three and two. They have the Bears that are four and one. All of those teams could potentially fall off. They have yeah, the yeah. 49ers at two and three. The Saints, at best, are going to be three and two after tomorrow. Like, yep. they had an opportunity to – to conceivably get in the playoffs and pretty easily when you look at like their schedule coming up, if they had finished this game off, you're thinking they're coming off this really good win against Seattle. We can ring, we can like, we can beat the Falcons like Packers. I don't know. Then you got the lions, you got Jags, you got a Panthers game, which is now really important. Like you have, you have the bears coming up two more times. Like everything was going to be laid out in front of you and to not change something when it's so like yeah. proven that it's gonna go wrong like at some point I don't even blame Samia like we know what this is we know what's gonna happen when you put him out there like yeah we can blame him but at what point do we blame who's putting him in because yeah. there's there's no reason to expect he's gonna do anything else than what he did tonight he's you can watch him for any sort of amount of plays in at least every other play he's gonna get beaten he's gonna get beaten badly Collinsworth had to point out a good play he made when a safety came to blitz. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he pushed a yeah. safety off. He did a regular like, thing that alignment <laughs> and it wasn't even do. like It wasn't even a great play. It was just like an average play, and yeah. he had to point it out as something he did well. So at some point, I don't even blame Samia because it's like, I don't know what you're expecting. And right. for this team, that if they win this game, they're in it. They're feeling really good, and they have winnable games to not make a shift at that weakest point, I just don't get. Because it seemed like they were making adjustments in other parts of the game. They made some adjustments on defense. They were using motion a little bit more on offense. They went to the screen yeah, game. They yep. got Irv Smith involved. Yep. Like, they were making changes everywhere else. But for whatever reason, they feel like they need to keep Samia there. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's stubbornness. I don't know if the other guys just aren't ready and we don't know you guys don't get to go to practice like you got to in training camp so we can't really right like can't see how Ezra Cleveland we, looks because they yeah we open that part of practice right we, we just don't know but it, it was just it's so aggravating because they could be two and three with a better right guard play it seems like minute to be like oh if they had just a little bit of a better right guard you put Brett Jones in there maybe you win but with how close this game was, maybe that fourth that fourth yeah. and inches, maybe you get the push. Like yeah. maybe there's a hole that's created. So maybe Kirk Cousins gets the sneak on whatever that two point conversion was, or I don't know. But I, it it doesn't make sense to me. It's ludicrous. I don't I don't know where you go from here because, yeah, I just I I don't know. He shouldn't be playing. Yeah. I, I I don't get it. This is uh, that's your first offensive lineman rant and congratulations to that. And uh, you did a good job there. It really is uh, remarkable. And I, I have no explanation for it for, you know, we asked about Drew Samia to Gary Kubiak last week and he said, well, he's done some good things. I'm not sure what those are. Um, he's, he's coming along. I don't know if it's a mandate from the front office that this draft pick must play. Um, they, they don't, like you can't just some people have asked about Oli Udo. You know, like you can't just have Oli Udo change positions from tackle to guard. And by the way, Udo has been like inactive. So, you know, it's not exactly like they think he's gonna be a lot better. But boy, does it say something about Ezra Cleveland though, because Dozier this is how Dozier makes his money in the NFL is being a guy who could play a bunch of different positions. If you had a couple tackles go down, Dozier could do it. If Bradbury goes down, Dozier could do it if you needed him to. 
So why he isn't playing, and maybe we'll see this after the bye week. Maybe they're just trying to survive through the bye week to make a positional change or something, but it really is an untenable situation, and it makes you wonder, yeah, did a right guard just cost you a huge game against Seattle? And, hey, he was a part of some pretty key plays there that didn't work out. So, yeah, kind of. And that's where, again, it's like I'm, I, I would not question exactly the fourth and one call as much as I would question some of these other things that we're getting into. Now, um, I don't know what your next question is, but I did want to talk about how they ruined a brilliant defensive performance. So was that yeah, your next this question? Is, this was my next question was just did the Vikings defense turn a corner tonight? Because it, it, it sure looked like they did. I mean – we could talk about what happened in the second half, but the defense was put in horrible positions in all the spots that they scored touchdowns. Yep. I think yep. the farthest back they were was that first touchdown and they were at like midfield. Otherwise it's inside the 20 for one of them and like yep. inside the 30 for the other one. So, and they contained a person that everyone kind of thinks is the MVP. Like the first half, he looked human. They were getting pressure on him, which I mm-hmm. thought was really important with four guys. They were generating some pressure, which was, like we had a coverage sack, which was like I don't remember the last yeah, time have not we've had one of those. Of those. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, like I think the defense took a corner or like yeah turned a corner tonight. Is that what you saw? Uh, I definitely. I mean, to hold Russell Wilson, even though he played so well at the end of the game, to 217 yards and 6.8 yards per attempt when he came in with a 136.8 quarterback rating, which is darn near perfect for the first couple of games of the season, uh, I thought was Mike Zimmer scheming brilliantly, scheming to his talents, which are at the safety position. So when he was not blitzing Anthony Harris or Harrison Smith successfully, which they did a lot. He was putting them over the top of the deep wide receivers. Tyler Lockett did nothing in this game. DK Metcalf for most of the game was not there until the very, very end. And he makes a couple of big plays. Uh, The pressures got home consistently. Uh, Wilson does not look confused very often, but we see this from Zimmer's schemes and elite quarterbacks a lot where they look a little bit puzzled, a little bit confused. And we saw that from Deshaun Watson against Houston, but we sort of went, "Mm, well, they fired their coach. Well, Pete Carroll is not getting fired. Uh, That's a great offense. That's a great team. And the thing that was the most telling was that they ran three straight times in the second half. Like, oh, I, I guess this has to be the answer. And if you can force Seattle to think the answer is handing off up the middle three times. I mean, you've really done something quite well. And that's where it is unfortunate the way that it ends for Zimmer's defense, because for the vast majority of the game, they were terrific. And this is why Zimmer is so obsessed with turnovers, by the way, because you're right. I mean, you give up a short field once and then right back one play later, right back to the short field, they run for a touchdown. It's like kind of a guarantee that that was going to happen when you give them the ball right back. But on all the drives that were not the short field and the turnovers, I mean, what did they give up? Maybe one touchdown on on a regular drive where they gave it to Wilson and he had to drive down the field and score. I think it was one touchdown. So that last one. Yeah, Yeah. Just that last one. Uh, so. So, I mean, as well as you could possibly do, if you tell Mike Zimmer, yeah, Russell Wilson's only going to throw for 217 yards. He's going to break off a couple of runs, but that's all he's going to do against you. And you can sack him four times. I think you come away pretty happy with that and with the way that you covered. And I think that Zimmer has figured out that he's got to use pressures. He's got to use blitzes, but he's also got to, in the other times, try to drop back his safeties deep and not leave too many people one-on-one. I thought that Mike Hughes had a really terrific game. At least that's my sense. You know, we'll go back and look at the tape and the PFF and all those things. But for him to come back and play really well, especially at the end, you know, they go after him a couple of times. He knocks the ball out on a ball that could have been a touchdown to DK Metcalf. He stops him on the fade route, did a really good job there. I mean, overall, you have to be happy with the way the defense played, getting uh, Fadi Adenabo with his first sack. Yannick Ngakwe picks up a sack. Oh, my gosh, James Lynch. I had several people troll me about James Lynch. Now, that was the most unpredictable thing of this game. (laughs) People were like, you said Lynch wasn't any good. Well, I mean, he was playing on the third team for all of training camp and was inactive for most of the games so far this year. So usually that's not a tremendously good sign. 
but they might as well give him a shot to see if he's a gamer because nothing else has worked in those situational rushes. And he had a great rush and he gets a sack. So, I mean, maybe we'll see a lot more of that from James Lynch. And actually on the football field, and it was only a couple of plays, but like under the real lights, uh, just looked like there was extra juice there that we didn't see in training camp. But uh, lots of things went really right for them in this game. And if you thought that they were just going to do the same thing in the second half as the first half, and they were just going to shut them down and give up like no yards to Wilson the rest of the game, well, that would have been an unfair standard to set. So I think that what we're looking at is really uh, three straight games of being very good situationally for the most part. Um, in the red zone or third downs. They were good on third downs in this game. Against Houston, first half, they're really, really good. This game, they don't give up any big plays until the very end. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a terrible defense the rest of the way. My question is, how much will it matter? I mean, because if they beat Atlanta, you're still 2-4. and four. You're still way down in the race. So now you need to win everything the rest of the way. And that's the most frustrating part of this loss for the Vikings is that the difference between a win and a loss for the shape of the rest of your season is just massive here. And so you have this great defensive performance, or very, very good and you don't come away with a win against Wilson. You don't come away with a kind of a signature Zimmer defensive genius scheme performance. And now you're looking at the rest of the season like, well, what are we trying to accomplish here? I mean, of course, they'll say we're trying to get back in the race. Got, you know, we lost a couple one-point games. We got to get on a run, all those things. But now it is a very steep mountain to climb, Paul. Yeah, and – if, if they had won this game, this is a game that they win that you don't think they're going to win. And so now that Green Bay game after the bye becomes really important. Because I think if you won this Seahawks game, then, you know, you could still lose to Green Bay and you could still feel good about it. But if you're then going to lose to Green Bay, that's another loss. And just going down the schedule with the Dak Prescott injury, the Cowboy game looks a lot e- easier yep. potentially. Yep. That Panthers game is winnable. That Jags game is winnable. I, I don't really know what to make of the Buccaneers or the Bears. That was kind of a weird Thursday night game. But it's Maybe harder you to could... talk yourself into all those. That's the problem yeah. with losing this game is if you keep losing the close games, it's harder to say, oh, well, you just beat this team and beat that team and beat that team. It, they it's have just, to be... If you they... beat Seattle, you can talk yourself into a whole bunch of wins the rest of the way. Yeah, and they – yeah, I, I it gives you confidence moving forward that we can beat a team that we haven't beaten in Seattle since 2006 – that has to mean something. Zimmer hasn't beaten them before. And yeah, it, it, it frees you up in terms of just clear mathematics on how you're going to make the playoffs. Cause with it, you're, you're really in there. You're, you're, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't look good with the 49ers. Mm-hmm. They look beatable. Yeah. Like there, there were places to move up. Now you just have to be perfect. And if we know anything about this team is through a half, they looked perfect here. And then they had a four minute stretch where they looked horrible and that yep. cost them the entire game. So we can't expect them to be perfect all the time moving forward. It's just not going to happen. But yep. a couple things on the defense. Yeah, it was when they went to that that too high safety, it really seemed like the young corners could like take a step back and kind of just see everything that's in front of them. They didn't have to worry as much about getting beat deep because that's probably what's just gotten hammered into their head week after week. Mm-hmm. They're getting beat deep. That's all anyone's talking about. You have the two best guys you would want behind you, behind you in terms of who you can trust back there. And so it felt it kind of freed them up. The defense looked fast in that first quarter. And I think part of it yeah. was knowing that you had those two guys back there, that we can make plays on the ball. Mike Hughes was targeted six times. Uh, only three of them were complete. So against Russell Wilson, that's pretty good. Jeff Gladney was only targeted once. I don't yeah. know if that was yeah. they wanted to stay away from Jeff Gladney or that's just Love what happened. the way he was battling with uh, DK Metcalf, too. Like those two pushing and, and shoving, I, it, it says good things about Gladney. I've, I've liked the way he's played for a couple weeks now. And he and Cam Dantzler seemed to be, they were targeting anyone specific. He also seemed to be on Metcalf a lot. So maybe it was just that, a product of that. But they targeted him 11 times. So they definitely at least saw something there that they felt they could attack. They got it on that fourth and 10. So, but still, I thought he played pretty decent other than that big play um, going deep. And so, yeah, I think that two high safety thing could be really beneficial for them going forward, at least to break in the corners give them some confidence. I was looking for it all game. The one time it didn't happen on that first DK Metcalf touchdown, Harrison Smith like came like he was going to blitz. He didn't blitz, but then he went to um, cover the back and DK Metcalf slid in right behind him 
Dantzler played a really good coverage, but he fit it right in. And that was just an example of, oh, Russell Wilson recognized the two deep safety thing wasn't there. And he was just going to go Metcalf versus Dantzler. And Mm -hmm. we saw it time after time Metcalf won that battle. But at the same point, if we're arguing, well, can Dantzler beat Metcalf? Like that's a pretty good conversation to be having when we didn't know what part of the defense he was going to be in. So overall, I think a lot of good signs, especially if they can pressure with four guys, which they were doing a little bit against a Seattle offensive line that isn't top tier, but they're not Vikings tier. They're not some of the other teams that they could face. Like it wasn't a bad offensive line and and they were at least able to do some things that suggested, especially if Daniel Hunter comes back, that's a big if at this point, but it it felt like, okay, now the parts of the defense is really starting to click. I don't know about what you thought. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, what I think is that all that you said is right, that they are starting to click, and with Ngakwe getting a sack every week, that's helpful. And Adenabo, we mentioned, I think, I don't know when, at some point, last week that he was pressuring the quarterback by the numbers and eventually he would get a sack and he did. Uh, I actually thought that the um, defensive line in the interior played a halfway decent game. They shut down some runs. I noticed Armand Watts for the first time. Welcome to the season, Armand Watts. But I only noticed him because Russell Wilson deked him out like Allen Iverson crossing over, uh, you know, a defender. But still, he was in the backfield in front of Russell Wilson. So, hi, Armand Watts. Remember when we talked about you this offseason. Nice to see you. So there's that. But the question that we come back to here, and this is kind of where I want to wrap, is just like, what does it mean now? I mean, because if you think that you're good enough to beat the bad teams like the Houstons and the Atlantas of the world, Jacksonville, my gosh, what a horrible performance they had. Uh, Doug Marone is the next guy on his way out, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, okay, great. Like, they're definitely better than those teams. There's no doubt about that. They've played a very, very hard quarterback schedule, a very, very hard team schedule to start this season. But if you don't come away two and three at this point, if you come away one and four, you are now so far down that there isn't enough bad teams. And eventually you're going to get upset by one of those bad teams. So if you're going along and yeah, okay, Dallas might not be that great, but they can still beat you with Andy Dalton as he showed at the end of that game against the Giants. So maybe you think, oh, that's a winnable game. We'll get that one. But you might not. You know, you might have things not go your way that day. There might be a Buffalo style upset. There probably is left on the schedule where you lose against a good team or what Denver did to them last year and they almost lost to someone named 
Brandon Allen playing quarterback for Denver. You're going to lay an egg at some point, and basically now, if you want to be a playoff team, you have to thread such a close needle or such a small needle that it just doesn't seem very plausible. And if you ask Vikings fans, well, what would a 7-9 and nine season mean to you? I think they would drive to the nearest cliff and go off. I mean, it's just like a 7-9 and nine season is the nightmare scenario where you don't get to draft high, you don't get to pick... Trevor Lawrence, which after the Jets, you're nowhere close that. Um, but, uh, you know, Justin Fields or Trey Lance or any of these quarterbacks that would change things, you might not even be in position to get the best offensive lineman. Like all of a sudden we're having that conversation again is what would it mean to be seven, nine? And it's basically kind of the worst thing that can happen to you. Um, now, you did get a superstar or a, a really good player in the draft this year. So you never know. Um, but a lot of the picks that they've had that are in that range of somewhere between the middle of the first and the bottom of the first, those give you your Mike Hughes and your Garrett Bradberries and your Laquan Treadwells. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't, but they're not often franchise changers like Justin Jefferson might be here. So uh, that is, I think, the most crushing thing about this is that you show you didn't get run out of the building by Seattle to where you could start saying, oh, top five pick. No, you played really well against Seattle, but you didn't win. So you can't say, oh, hey, playoffs. I remember you. Let's talk about you. And that puts them in a weird purgatory, potentially, unless they are able to turn things around. So, yep, it's that kind of time for the Vikings. Yeah, not 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 a great not a great great spot to be. Um, like you said, if they got blown out, there's a clear direction. If they win, there's a clear direction. The way they lost is just it 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 opens up. Well, they could lose more, but they're too good to lose. Not like to lose too much. And like if if they keep winning games, yeah, I don't know if the math really works out. So it's just it's hard going through the schedule. If you're like the op like the most optimistic person, I was looking at it. I was trying to find it. I could see eight and eight if they really like a lot of optimism again. If they just like can string together some games, maybe maybe that's a possibility. But we don't even know what that seven spot's going to look like. If that could even get them in, like we know the NFC East is only going to have one team. We we think like the Tampa division like I don't know I'm, if I believe in Carolina playoff scenarios. I have to give you credit for like because I yeah. I didn't do that while I was writing my column. I, I was looking because it it's there's an outside possibility because I'm looking at this game and if we can play Seattle like this on the road at Seattle like where where can't they play well and I I don't know the recipe just felt like they could they could replicate it. We've talked about all the bad defenses that they're going to have coming up still. So I don't know. I'm, I'm holding on hope, but it's a, it's a sliver of hope. And I, I don't know. It's again, any other result other than this would have had a clear outcome on where you kind of go forward with this season. So not having this is a, is a little confusing. And the one thing, if we have time, I just want to ask about a Dal, a Dalvin cook question. Oh, we sure. heard he's going to have an MRI tomorrow. So um, by the time you're listening to this, maybe we'll have a little bit um, more knowledge on how long he could be out. But the first couple of weeks, the, you know, the don't pay a running back a second contract. Those people <laughs> were kind of hiding a little bit because yep. Cook was playing really, really well. But then Madison comes in and you can kind of see him peeking their heads out. They're like, oh, OK, we're, we're back. We're here because Madison played really well. And Boone had that one run. I don't know if he had much more than that, but Madison looked really good. Everyone was finally like, oh, Madison could be a running back number one. I think we kind of knew that already. I don't know if you really needed this game, but I tend to fall somewhere in the middle of, I don't think this is what Madison's going to do every week. And so like, because this week, if this is the version of Madison you were getting, then yes, I'd agree. You don't pay a running back that much, but I don't think you're going to get this Madison performance. You're going to get a, a middle ground of what they got in week 16 last week in Green Bay and this week. Like, you're going to get somewhere in the middle. You're going to have games on both sides. With Dalvin Cook, you know what you're going to get, and you're going to get something really good. You're going to get what Madison gave you today every week. And so I don't know, where where do you kind of sit? Because I think people are going to start to question now the running back contract, now even four games in or whatever we are. People are going to start start to wonder, should they have paid him? Because through yep. the first couple games, you thought it was a good deal. But now the first sign of injury, 
shouldn't have paid him. Look at Madison. Look <laughs> at us go. We didn't need him. So I don't know. Where are you there? Well, I think um, in those first couple of weeks. All right. So I'll just say this. The first couple of weeks of the season are a stronger argument against it than for it, even without the injury, because he was the best running back in the league and they're one and three. It's just that is kind of how the league works. Like Carolina is now three and two because Teddy Bridgewater has played really well and they've had some favorable scheduling. I mean, they've got some good wins, but I mean, Atlanta was a team ready to quit on their coach and uh, you know, they beat a a decent Arizona team, but not a great Arizona team. And so I'm not saying that Carolina is going to win the Super Bowl with Bridgewater, but Christian McCaffrey's out. And they've won games and they're not even good. Like their defense is, is not good. And, you know, they've got a, a decent receiver or two, but it's not like they're, you know, best weapons in the league kind of thing or best line in the league or any of that. And yet they've won some games without their running back. And I think that uh, the connection between your running back and how much better he can be over the next guy was really on display here is that Mike Boone comes in and he does well and Alexander Madison does well. This is a team that puts a ton of emphasis on the running back performing at a high level because that's what they need. And so I'm not saying that Dalvin Cook isn't better than those guys decidedly because of course he is. What he did in Houston was special. It was incredible. It's just Alexander Madison averaged the same yards per carry last year and averaged five yards a carry tonight. And that's just like what the anti-pay running back argument is. And part two of the argument is they always get hurt. They're always hurt. Todd Gurley was hurt. Devontae Freeman was hurt. The two biggest busts. Christian McCaffrey is currently hurt. Saquon Barkley is currently hurt. Delvin Cook is currently hurt. It's just a thing that happens to that position. Uh, Our friend Peter Carline, who was on this summer, called them cannon fodder. And that's right. Like you just, they just, you put them in and they get blown up and you get the next one. That's the argument against it. I think Delvin Cook is a special player. I think he's a top three running back in the NFL. But if you can't keep him healthy, that was always the concern. So now here's what they have to worry about. You are going to find out how bad the groin is. But we dealt with this before. The pitch count thing. Remember that? That was miserable where he would play a little and then, you know, 2018. And uh, last year they played it really safe with him, but then they, you know, lost out on some offense because he wasn't in. And now we're here, you know, playing this Delvin's hurt type of game uh, again. And, And that's, so everything, if you were against paying him, and I wasn't entirely against paying him because he is very, very special. But if you were against paying him, the, these first couple of games have been your argument. So we'll see how that plays out. But for him to get hurt again, and re- it's really going to play into the narrative that he just can't stay healthy. Yeah, I I, I feel bad for him because I think he got his contract, so we have to feel good about that. But I don't know. It, it I just wouldn't like it if everyone was questioning like my importance on the team when every time I'm on the field, they play better and the Vikings yeah, kind of yeah. need him and what they – do so then to come back and say well it doesn't really matter like you you said it earlier cook probably gets that fourth and inches and then they win the game so he's he's just so pivotal to this team that generally I agree and after seeing that I was like yeah like with all the cap situation and like moving forward all the gymnastics the Vikings are gonna have to do stay under the cap and to stay like relevant with the people that they have on their roster it's like I don't know if you should have paid him but it, then you see what he does. And so that's the dilemma they went through. That's the dilemma we talked about all off season, but it's, it, it just sucks. The second he gets hurt, it's, Oh, you shouldn't pay the running back. And we're not, mm-hmm. we're not even worrying about the fact that it's the same leg that had the hamstring injury that had the ACL injury. We're just already casting him off. Madison's going to be a, a running back one right away. It's just, I guess it's the way the, the business works, but it's just, it's tough to see that. So now what we're going to find out, and this will be your slight preview for next week's bunch of podcasts, is how bad do they want to get back in it? Because the Falcons are horrendous, and you should beat their faces in if you're any good at all. And as you laid out, you're not completely out of it when the NFC East will be submitting only one team, and that team might be 6-10, and ten, uh, depending on how it goes. So uh, the season does not necessarily end here, but how much – 
do you want it to go that way uh, is a test game for next week against the Atlanta Falcons. Like, have they given up after this or are they going to blow the doors off the Falcons and then, you know, keep moving on after that? And then all of a sudden we could possibly be talking about three and four if they can beat the Packers. And then we do all this dance again. So a long way to go for the season, but uh, your draft questions might be welcome now. So we'll see. Uh, You're going to start breaking down film now. Paul, you have 8 a.m. class, so I appreciate you staying up late to do this. Thank you very much. You have done a tremendous job on all of our breakdowns, and we'll continue to do them post-game. So thank you for your time, and thank you all for listening to this very ranty. I ran out of breath at one point. I had, I like, ate a brownie and then, like, a regular brownie, and then, like, you know, had three Diet Dr. Peppers right before we did this, and I felt like I was just, like, on full speed. Uh, for this podcast. So I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed the energy of a post game Vikings meltdown loss. So we will catch you again every day here on purple insider.